about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God, Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open your word to our eyes and open our eyes to your word. May our hearts embrace you. May we learn more about the Lord Jesus as we study the prophet Jonah. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in Jonah chapter 3. It's a long time since Jonah chapter 1. But Jonah chapter 3 starts very much like chapter 1. Have you noticed that? Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. You look at verse 1 of chapter 1, and there you see much the same thing, not, of course, the words a second time. And when you normally read in the Old Testament, a prophet gets a word from the Lord, and the prof- and God says, you go here, then the next verse is, and so he went there. But not Jonah, not in chapter 1. Jonah went exactly the opposite direction, right across the Mediterranean. Well, that was his intention, but of course God waylaid him in the great fish which we find in chapter 2, of course. Chapter 3, Jonah is chastened. Uh, Jonah has recognized the folly of his ways. He's uh, repented and now recognizes that he needs to follow God's way. He obeys the word of the Lord, and that's what the next verse is. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. That's, of course, what we should have read in chapter 1. But we're reading this now in chapter 3. And of course, that sometimes happens to us, isn't it? We sometimes don't always obey the word of the Lord. Not so much a voice that God gives to us that as Jonah would have received, but when we see the Bible and we know there's a particular pathway we should take, and sometimes we don't take it. And we don't take it to our folly and to our sadness and to the reproof that God will often give to us until we repent and turn back and do what he asks us to do. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. This is an obedience out of faith. He trusts in God 
and therefore he goes to Nineveh, that very large city. A very large city, actually, in the Hebrew, is a city great to, before God. Uh, it's the way in which you talk about large things, uh, great before God. But here, in actual fact, it's more, it's more than just a, a methodology of using Hebrew language. It's actually a city which is great in God's eyes. It's so great, not because of its size, but because it's valuable to God because there are image bearers, his people, the people whom he'd created in his image, who live in Nineveh. And this, of course, was the part of the reason why Jonah didn't want to go. Uh, Nineveh represents the enemy. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Uh, even in the century before Jonah, and we're, in the, we're at the beginning of the 8th century BC in Jonah's time, Jonah lived uh, not far from Nazareth in the northern tribes, and King Ahab had had to pay tribute to Assyria uh, in the 9th century BC. Uh, Jonah himself would have suffered the invasions of the Syrians, another nation to the north of Israel. So he knew what it was like to be uh, have the impact of a foreign army coming into his land. No wonder he was afraid about going to Nineveh, coming to that great city, which is great before God. It was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. That's what the NIV translates. If you've got a 1984 version of the NIV, you'll actually see it took three days to visit the city which probably is a better translation. I'm not quite sure why they changed it in 2011. But of course, in the ancient world, when you came to a city, your first day would be come to present your credentials, uh, make yourself known, introduce yourself. The second day, you'd do your business, and the third day, you'd leave. That's more than likely what's taking place here, the way in which the word visit is used, which is used elsewhere in the Old Testament for that very purpose, not so much the length or dimension of the city, not how great it is in terms of walking from one end to the other, uh, walking three days. There are 120,000 people, at least, we know at the end of chapter 4, that's a fairly large city in the ancient world. Uh, the city of Babylon is the first city in the ancient world to reach 200,000, and that was sometime later. So here is this great city that, uh, that Jonah goes to. And then he comes to the city, and going a day's journey, notice that's on the first day, the day in which he might be giving his credentials and uh, introducing himself. He comes to the city and he proclaims, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In the Hebrew, that's five words. Very simple message. In fact, we talk about Jonah being the book of the prophet Jonah, but the only words of prophecy are these five words. You look at Isaiah or Jeremiah or even the minor prophets, uh, lots of words conveying the word of the Lord to the people to whom they've been asked to speak. But in Jonah's case, this encapsulates God's word to Nineveh, and of course, it's a word of judgment. It's a word of judgment to Nineveh. Secretly, Jonah probably didn't want them to respond to his word. And we'll see that next week when you look at chapter 4. But what the writer gives to us in the very next verse probably took Jonah by surprise. It may take us by surprise too. After this five-word prophecy, the Ninevites believed God, and a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. 
Uh, putting on sackcloth is a pretty uncomfortable vesture to wear. You're, as it were, prostrating yourself. You're making yourself uncomfortable. You're recognizing you've done wrong, and you'll see that in the king's uh, petition later, later on, his decree to the city. So what you've got here is repentance on behalf of, behalf of Nineveh. And what you've got in particular is a response to God's word. And it's a response to God's word of judgment. Listen to the way in which the king uh, speaks. The Jonah's warning reached the king in Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And his decree was, don't let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. The whole city had to be covered in sackcloth. A mourning, a statement of their repentance, of their need to listen to the God of Israel. They had many gods in, in Nineveh. They had many uh, deities whom they worshipped. But let everyone call urgently upon God, the God of Israel, and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So he recognized that in actual fact, their behavior had been wrong. They'd been living an immoral life, a violent life, an evil life. Although we only have five recorded words of Jonah's prophecy, no doubt he had other things to say, explaining who the God of Israel was explained that this was a nation who was outside of Israel. In actual fact, part of the, the essence of the book of Jonah is that it foreshadows the gospel coming to Gentiles. Uh, we get a few episodes uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, we get Elijah, for example, uh, with regard to the, woman, uh, the widow of Zarephath. With Elisha, we get Naaman the Syrian, another enemy soldier of, of Israel. Uh, we have, of course, in Jonah's case, the whole city of Nineveh. But you notice that Jonah's prophecy to them, Jonah's exhortation to them, is not that they have to become Jews. They stay as Gentiles. He doesn't, as it were, you know, have a circumcision party to celebrate their repentance. No, they're not becoming Jews. They're going to stay as Gentiles. And this, of course, is part of the way in which the, the New Testament unfolds the gospel. The gospel first promised to Abraham that Abraham would not only have a large number of descendants, but be a blessing to all nations. Uh, we, of course, are the inheritors of that blessing. We who aren't Jews, Jewish stock from the loins of Abraham, we who are Gentiles, mostly, we have been encompassed and included in God's great family, in God's great salvation, the salvation which... At the end of Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, the salvation which is of the Lord. Uh, perhaps no verse in the Bible encapsulates in such a short framework what the Bible's all about. Salvation is of the Lord. It's God's doing. God who actually demands a righteous life sees ancient Nineveh evil, don't know their right hand from their left, not following God's ways, even as Gentiles, God looks upon them with compassion. God looks upon them and recognizes that they too can be a part of his family. What does the king say? The king says, who knows? God may yet relent 
and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. That's possibly indicating that Jonah hadn't explained the outcome of repentance. He just talked about the sovereign God, the God who'd saved Israel, and that they needed to turn to that God. But the message, of course, was judgment. And the king cries out, who knows? Maybe God will relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Later on, the prophet Joel has the same thoughts and most likely picking up from Jonah. Listen to this from Joel chapter 2 from verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. That statement of who knows, is it now answered, of course, in the gospel? We, the readers, know this is true. The God is the one who actually saves the unrighteous. He brings his love and his compassion to bear upon those who don't deserve him. That's us. That's you and me. That's your neighbors who are under the judgment of God if they don't turn to Jesus. And the message that Jonah gives to them is a message which the people of Nineveh respond to. They can only respond to it because God's Spirit's at work in them. God has changed people's hearts. Although we don't see in the history of Assyria, because it's only going to be another uh, 40, 50 years before the Assyrians are going to come under a different king and destroy the northern kingdom. In actual fact, decimate the northern kingdom completely and take them away as captives and the ten tribes of Israel effectively disappear, leaving only Judah in the southern kingdom left, Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Now, we don't quite know how the history goes on, but of course, that's the story with Israel, isn't it? Israel started off so well, started off with, with in following God, following Moses through the Red Sea, but it didn't take long before they started complaining to Moses. In actual fact, Moses talks to God and God says he's going to wipe them out. And Moses intercedes for the people of Israel because he knows God's character, that God is a God of compassion and a God of love. And so God responds to Abraham's, to Moses' prayer in that regard. Here we find that God responds to the king of Nineveh's prayer. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And the final verse of chapter 3, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. That's extraordinary, isn't it? So extraordinary that Jonah, as we'll see next week, was quite bemused, confused, and indeed angry about this response. But of course, deep down he knew that God was a compassionate God, and God was going to forgive Israel's enemies. 
because God forgives his enemies. And that's why this Jonah is such a wonderful picture of the way in which the gospel comes forth and changes people's hearts. People who are opposed to God, the gospel by the Spirit of God can, can soften people's hearts and enable them to believe. Some have said, well, does that mean that Jonah's prophecy didn't come true? Forty days and this city is going to be overthrown. Well, God's prophecy of judgment is always conditional upon people repenting. Listen to this from Jeremiah uh, chapter 18. Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of a potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. Then in verse 7, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. Jeremiah, of course, is preaching uh, a lot later than Jonah was. Jeremiah is preaching at the end of the destruction of the southern tribes uh, at, at the around the beginning at the end of the uh, uh, at the end of the seventh century, beginning of the sixth century BC. And of course, the interesting thing between Jonah and Jeremiah is Jonah preaches to this rebellious enemy of God, and he's welcomed, and they believe him. And they trust God, they turn from their evil ways. Jeremiah preaches into the very heart of Jerusalem to the leaders who should have known better. And what do they do? They put him in jail, throw him down a cistern, completely prevent him from preaching God's word. And they were the leaders of God's people. They should have known better. The problem with uh, the world is that sometimes Christian churches, just like ancient Israel, can go off the tracks and not heed the need to continue to walk in the paths of faith and obedience. Notice the way in which the writer in chapter 3 says, God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. It's not just what they said, it's what they did. Obedience to God needs action. Faith needs to be active. And the faith of these Ninevites was such that they believed God, they repented, and God relented. That is, he did not bring the judgment which was due upon them. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about this. He talks about the sign of Jonah when Jonah was in the belly of the fish. And he talks about how the Ninevites will rise up at the judgment day and condemn the Jewish leadership in the first century because they repented when they heard the word of God. The Jewish leadership, of course, did not repent. Many Australians don't repent. Some of our friends, family members, don't repent. Don't recognize where forgiveness of sins can be found. So therefore, our challenge where we are today, especially in a COVID-19 world where people are so fearful and afraid, isolated in their houses, we've got the message of hope the message of hope that comes to a broken world, whereby God's offer of free forgiveness 
not for anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has lived the life that you and I could not live, and he's died the death that you and I deserve. If we don't see judgment in our gospel, we haven't got the true gospel. But if we don't recognize that judgment has been averted because of what Jesus has done, then we haven't got the full gospel either. Jonah knew that. Jonah's preaching brought about repentance and renewal and God's gift of forgiveness and restoration. That promise is still here today. As it was in Jesus' day, so it is now, 2,000 years later. As we proclaim Christ, invite people to put their trust in him, for them to recognize that without Jesus, they will be under God's condemnation at the last day. But with Jesus, they will stand on his righteousness and his life and death and resurrection. And so be with him forever. That's the joy of being a Christian. That's the joy of knowing Jesus as your Savior. That's the joy of knowing that salvation is from the Lord. Who knows? We know. So let us make sure that we tell others what we know so that they too can be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that goes forth so powerfully as it did to the city of Nineveh so long ago. Father, we thank you that your word has changed us and we pray that you would enable us to bring your word to others so that they too can embrace the living and true word in Jesus. Father, we thank you for Jesus, for all that he's done in his life, death and resurrection and pray, Father, that we might continue to walk in the paths of obedience as those ancient Ninevites did when they first heard that word and that we might do so until the end for the glory of the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.